Welcome to the Boston Ed Talks podcast series, where we dive a little deeper into this year's Boston Ed Talks. The Boston Ed Talks are an annual celebration of Greater Boston's innovative teachers and teaching. We're going to learn a little bit more about these teachers, what makes them special, what makes their teaching special, and how you can apply what they've learned to your classrooms. I'm your host, Ethan Bronner. Today we're talking with Lindsay Minder, who teaches second grade at Codman Academy. We're focused on mindfulness, the way in which a calm in a classroom for a few minutes a day can increase and improve academics and also improve the lives of teachers. Well, I want to welcome Lindsay Minder from uh, Codman Academy uh, here uh, to our podcast today. Lindsay, you um, gave a very moving talk at the 2017 Boston Ed Talks. One question I have is that, uh, you know, there's a limited number of hours to begin with in the school day. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering uh, whether there's a competition between helping people, young kids, develop their mindfulness and developing their academic skills. Mm -hmm. So does Mm -hmm. it eat into the time you Mm -hmm. would normally be instructing Mm -hmm. them? well, you, by nature, you're right. There's a limited amount of time in the school day. Um, so the 15 minutes that I elect to spend doing this every day is coming from something else. Um, but I will consistently tell administrators and colleagues that that 15 minutes of mindfulness will buy you back 45 minutes to an hour in academic time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might not see that right away. But the way in which kids are able to train their bodies and train their mind to be more present and focus, to decrease their impulsivity and their emotional reactivity, um, I I see. I've I've witnessed students who could never sit through a 45-minute math lesson before, but after they learn these practices and learn how to be more present and aware of what's happening for them, their focus um, and their willingness to engage in tasks and their willingness to persevere through things that are challenging, it's just exponential growth. Um, So this is, you've observed this. Oh my gosh. Are there studies showing the same thing? Yes, yes. And and this is sort of like blowing up in the world of education right now in terms of the effect that mindfulness um, can have. The the research on children is less developed right now, um, but there's extensive studies done on the neuroscience of what mindfulness and meditation can do for the brain, um, and then specifically what impacts it can have in the classroom setting. You do lose 15 minutes, lose, as it were, 15 minutes of your academic six hours, but in in exchange for that loss, you effectively gain 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. So what do you mean by that gain? So I think it's going to look different for every group of students and every teacher, but from my personal experience, um, I gain attention and engagement from students. I gain um, considerable amounts of time that are uh, no longer spent um, processing students who feel upset or overwhelmed or exhausted and fatigued. I find kids' bodies and brains are so much more ready to learn when we have this 15 minutes. And it's not just that individual 15 minutes that directly translates to 45 more minutes of teaching. It's the the skills that become innate from those daily 15 minutes that become 
um, a part of who these um, little people are as humans and how they're showing up to their educational experience. Um, I also notice markable difference in the amount of compassion they show to one another and oftentimes we lose a considerable amount of learning time because of pure conflict and disagreements but when that sense of empathy and compassion is built collaboration and communication are so much stronger and the students are able to learn and work much more effectively together and and when in the course of the school day do you choose to use those 15 minutes so it's changed with each group of students i used to do it as part of our daily morning meeting, which was a really nice way to set the culture of the day. And then last year, um, my students really clearly helped me understand how troublesome lunch can be. Um, And we were consistently spending 15, if not 45 minutes processing conflicts um, immediately following the lunch period. And I said, wait a second, we could spend 45 minutes trying to rehash everything that just happened in the lunchroom, or we could spend 15 minutes being mindful together and resetting ourselves for the afternoon. And that completely transformed the school year for both myself and my students because I found myself getting more and more anxious as lunch approached and then just dreading the moment when they all came back from lunch. Um, And instead, we turned it into this place of, yeah, things might have felt hard and overstimulating in the lunchroom. But now we have our 15 minutes to be very peaceful and centered together before our That's learning. interesting. So you, you originally you did it sort of in the beginning to mm-hmm. set the day, but then you discovered that the ideal or a better place that it would be just after the most stressful moment in the day mm-hmm. to use it to bring people back. Mm-hmm. And then what... Once kids sort of internalize some of these strategies and skills, what's beautiful is any moment in the day um, where things don't feel quite right, when we're not at our best, I'll just stop and say, you know what, kiddos, I think we all just need to take a mindful moment. Um, And we might turn the lights off, we might turn a very quiet song on, or we might do an activity together. And sometimes I do that specifically for them, and sometimes I do that specifically for myself. (laughs) And I say to them, you know what, kiddos, I need a mindful moment right now, so I'm just going to sit and breathe, and then we're going to try this again. Um, And that's been really powerful for me in my own practice, but also to see the ways in which that changes my students. One sort of assumes that students should see a teacher in a somewhat all-powerful position rather than a vulnerable one, but you have reversed that, and you think it's effective. Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe 100% that the students in our classrooms need to know that we are as human as them. Um, We can have great successes and great triumphs, but we're going to mess up too. And and we're going to fail, and sometimes we're going to fail on our own, and sometimes we're going to fail together. Um, But it's not going to be the end of any of us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly important for a classroom culture, for kids to see the common humanity in everybody. You know, one of the other uh, uh, ed talks was about uh, Intrepid Academy Mm -hmm. and the the need to have people be active in order to know. I I understand these are not mutually exclusive, but are they complementary, do you think? Oh, my gosh, yes. I've had some amazing conversations with educators recently and done some reading myself about the importance of matching um, activity with rest Mm -hmm. and um, times of like um, extensive mental exercise with mental respite and silence. And I think um, 
the other ed talk which talked about like adventure and exploring and like the physical movement is exactly what we need kids doing and then also matching that with times of peace and silence and just being present with ourselves and I think if we could sort of revolutionize this world of education and make um, those two variables sort of like constantly in balance with each other we'd see students performing so much more at their best I think oftentimes we go the exact opposite way we ask them to like sit in silence but be really attentive um, and then go out and do something active and then come back and but we never let them just be mm-hmm. um, but you're talking about being for 15 minutes a day I wanted to ask you that's not a very long no and that's enough no oh and and it's this funny thing of it's not very long, but 15 minutes can feel very That's long. Um, I mean, the first week of school, we work on just um, seeing if we can say, stay silent for the extent of a single chime, which is about 10 seconds. Um, and it's really interesting to see how many of my kids struggle with staying silent because silence isn't something we're used to or often comfortable with. But yet we hand out a test and ask everybody to be silent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wonder why the anxiety in the room increases. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting to me is that you're doing this with second graders, mm-hmm. uh, which on the one hand, you know, they're sort of squirmier mm-hmm. and it might be harder. On the other hand, they're more impressionable. They mm-hmm. may be, you know, on, if you had 12-year-olds, it might you might find the disruptions mm-hmm. much greater. Mm-hmm. Has anyone tried it with somewhat older kids? Yeah, there's lots of um, groups and organizations that are working with older students, too. And I think the really interesting thing about working with older students is they're developmentally, they're in a place where they can do much more metacognition and you can really talk with them about some of these abstract concepts of like what does it mean to be a witness to yourself and what does it mean to watch your thoughts which I discuss with my seven-year-olds as well but sometimes they get a little confused as to what I'm talking about Um, so with middle school and high school students they're really um, their developmental level allows them to access some of the ideas um, in a really amazing way. And also they've had more life experiences to draw on to say, whoa, that could have been really helpful in that situation. What impact do you see on the kid's academic performance? How do you measure that? So one of the things that I have consistently noticed over the last few years in my classroom is um, the struggle students have with sitting and um, maintaining their engagement, and then also uh, the struggle students have when they are presented with a task that they find challenging. And it's really my job as an educator to consistently present tasks that are mildly challenging to students, to to stretch them intellectually and to help them learn new concepts. Um, but if emotionally the students shut down every time we do that, those challenges are never going to result in learning. They're going to result in um, disengagement, discouragement, um, and and ultimately some of those feelings towards education that just says, this is not for me. So I've noticed by these 15 minutes daily of helping kids to become more aware of themselves as humans, they become much more aware of themselves as learners. And they can sit in a lesson and say, oh, I'm getting distracted right now. These are some things I can do about that. Or they can look at an assignment and say, this looks really hard to me, but how am I going to approach this in a way that feels successful? So it's really tied in with the whole idea of growth mindset also, and that it's not that 
I'm bad or I can't do this, but it's that maybe I need some help or maybe I just need to take a break and come back to the work. So it's really about the way kids sort of show up as students that I find changes dramatically. And I mean, not to be too crude about the uh, results-oriented mm-hmm. element of it, but can we see that they do better in academics? Yeah. I is mean, there a way to measure it? So what's a little tricky about second grade is <laughs> we don't have as much like number crunching right. data driven information with my kiddos. Um, and at Codman, one of the amazing things is we do standards based grading, which is also a different way to look at kids mm. um, results. But I could say um, if you timed the amount of time on task my students have in September, October, November, and time it, um, that time on task in the spring, it would be considerably larger. And I would say with confidence, if you ask the students why they can attend for longer, all of their responses would tie back to our work around mindfulness. That's interesting, but let me just push you on that thought. I would imagine that any second grade teacher might say the same, yep. right? Yep. But after all, the, the child is developing yep. uh, as a learner and yep. as a student. Uh, is there any way to measure what happens in your class as opposed to what happens in other second grade classes? I don't know that there's a quantitative way to measure it. Um, from what I've heard from a number of people, there's... Uh, a palpable atmosphere in my classroom, which is a little hard to describe. I'm in it, so I'm sort of like that fish in the water that doesn't necessarily know what water is. Right. Um, but I think one of the things I consistently go to in, in helping to advocate for these practices is the neuroscience behind mindfulness um, and the ways in which you, if you look at fMRI scans, the brain actually is changed and the gray matter grows in the, in people's brains and the way the frontal cortex is developed. And I think I don't have brain scans on all of my students, but I trust the science that these practices are helping their brains in that way. And so when you talk to your colleagues, Mm -hmm. either within Codman or generally Mm -hmm. in second grade or across the board, what would you say to them? How could they take what you've been doing and apply it in their classrooms? I mean, I think um, the easiest thing to do is start with five minutes a day of just sitting and being in community together and taking some deep breaths and just listening to the sounds in the classroom and being really aware of what um, emotional and physical impact that has on the teacher first. We've got to start with ourselves first. And I think having five minutes with our students where we're not pushing some agenda and we're not worrying about test scores and we're not worrying about meeting certain expectations um, is incredibly powerful. And it allows us to sort of um, just be in a human space with these amazing people that we get to spend time with every day. Um, And then after those five minutes, there's sort of this new levity and life to the work we're about to do together. Do Do they need training to make those five minutes work? I don't believe you do. I think if you, as the adult in the room, are just sort of authentic and open your heart to the kids in front of you. So what, I, what would an example be of five? I mean, in, in your case, you really do have training for it. You do, you do a very specific set of exercises. Mm-hmm. So a colleague of yours who does not have that training, mm-hmm. and you say, mm-hmm. take five minutes, and you say to her or him, do what with those five minutes? Yep. 
So one of the things um, I say to a lot of people, especially working with younger kids, but I know that it works with older kids too, is getting a few like really simple mindfulness tools, for lack of better words, to have in your classroom. And there's these things called Hoberman spheres, which like expand and collapse that Mm. are really cool. Mm. Um, And it's a beautiful way to show kids and adults um, how we can breathe out and in. And using that in the front of the classroom is a really good way for kids to match their breathing to this Hoberman sphere. We, I also go to the dollar store and buy the little LED tea lights. And sometimes we all just put a little candle on our desk and we just watch the fake flame for two minutes mm. together. Um, and sometimes having some tangible tool like that. Pinwheels are a really great way for kids to practice breathing or just having like a tissue in front of you and blowing out and in. So you would tell everyone to focus on the issue of breathing. I think breathing is a really good place to start because we always have our breath. It's always going to be with us wherever we are, and it dramatically impacts how we experience Mm. something. Um, The amount of times we're not breathing, um, I know from experience, can be significant when we're under stress, um, and really tapping into the breath can completely change the way. The the physiological response um, is obviously has a lot of connection to both our emotional and mental abilities. Wow. And do kids take it home and tell their parents about it and have them do it? Yeah. What's really interesting, in the past I've asked kids, like, do you use this at home and how has this generalized, those sorts of things. Um, And this year I didn't, but I was asking some general questions as I was preparing for the Ed Talk. And a number of students told me very specific stories about being at home. Um, typically they were being scolded for something they shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. And they went to their room and they said, quote, just like we do in school, I did my mindfulness. Um, And that was a beautiful thing for me to realize that I didn't have to explicitly tell them Mm -hmm. that they could extend this beyond our classroom. They they got that on their own. So whether fights with siblings or getting in trouble or getting very antsy, I've had kids in the past tell me when they went to the doctor's office um, or when a test was coming up in a different situation, those were times where they used their mindfulness. Because, as we said earlier, it can be many of them have difficulties at home Mm -hmm. and their families, and so these issues must come up quite a lot. Yeah, and I think that's um, part of being human is there's always going to be stress, um, but we're always going to have our breath. So Mm. if we can figure out how to, like, use what we have in knowing that stressful situations are going to come up, Mm -hmm. um, we're going to be in a lot better place to take care of ourselves. So you've been doing this for a few years, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what have you heard from the pupils who've moved on? Are any of them continuing to do it on their own? Do they talk about what effect it had on their ability to learn? So some of my students that I had two years ago now went on to third grade, which is right next door to me. So I get to see them and hear them all the time. Um, And I had many conversations with their teacher about um, their successes and their continued struggles. And one of the things that she sort of um, remembered mid-year was, wow, we should really make specific time for mindfulness. Um, And it was in those times where certain students, it wasn't the entire class, but certain students were able to sort of tap back into these successes they had had in the past. And so I would say 
when kids are in my classroom, it's a real whole community thing because it's such an authentic part of who I am. And then when they be, move beyond the doors of my classroom, it's sort of their um, gift to take with them in whatever way they see fit. And certain kids, I consistently see and hear about them tapping into their strategies um, as they move up for the through the grades and then other kids not as much Um, but maybe they'll remember five years down the road or so but there are definitely certain kids um, they tend to be kids who um, struggle at school more significantly that really continue to utilize these practices um, as they go on in the grades. And do your colleagues say that maybe they want to do the same thing in fifth or sixth grade? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because that would, of course, make a big difference if it was effective to sort of have a booster course in it as they keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the ideal is that it's something that becomes much more cyclical um, and circular and that we're constantly revisiting this. And I think um, I believe that's as important for the teachers as it is for the students. I think, um, I mean, I often say I don't know how people teach middle school. It's like a whole other world to me. And I think the importance for those middle school teachers to also be able to be present and be compassionate with their students, I think we as a whole school would um, be in a really good place if we could do that. I'm sure you do think that. Is Does the school seem to agree? Is it moving in any, in any way in that direction? Yeah. I mean, the school's been really supportive of the work I've done in my classroom and exploring ways that I can share that. Um, in a few weeks, I'm going to a conference in Chicago and presenting to teachers about how to bring mindfulness into their classroom rooms. Um, And so part of the work will obviously be doing that same workshop with my own staff at Codman to get to share more of my practices. I mean, it's interesting, too, because you are, of course, supposed to instill in them academic skills, but Mm -hmm. you're also supposed to help them learn how to live life. Yeah, that's my big thing is like, yes, like adding and subtracting and reading and writing. It is very, very important. Um, But especially at the young age of the students I work with, if they don't know how to love themselves and be present um, and observe what's happening around them from a place of compassion and empathy, that reading and writing and math isn't going to go anywhere very fast. And the same is true of teachers is what you're saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if we aren't self-aware and if we... um, can't give ourselves what we need and if we can't see the impact that we're having in any given situation based on the way we're showing up emotionally, our our work is not going to be nearly as effective as it could be. I mean, it's, re- it's really interesting to think about the effects of mindfulness um, on children sort of internally and then what that does to their experience um, with education in general. And I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in my students is that they're able to approach school differently when they realize that they they are an agent of their own change in some ways. Um, and there are certain things that are out of their control, but the one thing that they can control is how they're going to show up in any given situation. And I think they begin to see that um, 
stress is going to be a constant in many different ways throughout life. It is for them and it is for me. And we talk openly about that. But the way in which we choose to engage or not engage with that stress can completely alter our experience. And I think many of my students come into the classroom ready to just sort of like attack stress head on or completely disengage and avoid altogether. That uh, fight, flight, or freeze mode is very heightened for many of my students, and as it was for me too when I was not at my best. And I think when they're able to note those reactions and say, wait a second, is this something I really need to flee from, or can I take a deep breath and be present in a different way than I was originally thinking, um, that completely transforms the way in which they engage with education. Stress is um, a fairly broad term, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering whether uh, there's uh, a risk in uh, making people feel that tension is a bad thing when it can be a motivator. Uh, And, you know, it it may sound like you should, quote-unquote, give up rather than go forward with your task. I'm wondering if you've had that issue come up. Yeah, absolutely. One of the um, misconceptions that I'm concerned arises, I don't even know that it actually does, is that my classroom is a place where I just take it easy on kids and when things feel hard, they can go sit and breathe for a little bit in the corner. Um, and I, I think that anybody who has visited my classroom will tell you that is far from the truth. Um, tough feelings are not an excuse for getting out of anything in my classroom. And I think one of the reasons that I'm able to set that precedent is because I spend intentional time working with kids on how to handle tough situations and tough feelings. And so when work feels challenging, um, if if you're having a meltdown about that, that's okay, but that work isn't going to go away and we're going to do it together later. Or if you have a really tough interaction with a friend because they hurt your feelings, there there might be a conflict and there might still be a fight, but we're going to stick that out and we're going to come through and we're going to process this together and revisit it again. In other words, it's not about walking away from a challenge. No. It's about refiguring yourself so as to meet the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the most empowering things that I see as a shift in many of my students is when they decide not to flee situations anymore and they sit there and they say, oh, this is hard, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and that's that's what I really want kids to get out of this. It's not that stress is bad and we need to avoid it and and just be happy all the time. It's like, no, these things are real and it's going to happen and we can't avoid that in life. So how are we going to move through those in a way that's safe and productive and supportive? So as you go forward, Lindsay, what... Uh... What do you see? What's your goal? How do you how are you going to measure that this has been successful? Um, I think uh, success in the classroom setting is such a complicated issue because there's so many things to think about. Um, one of the things that may make me unique as a teacher, but I think um, many people would agree is that, To me, success is students really seeing themselves as whole people. And I believe so fully in my heart um, that 
rather than measuring students' academic progress and academic success and numbers on tests, um, we have to look at how students have changed and grown as humans over the course of the year. And I think the best measure of success for me is students who don't want to leave to go on summer vacation. Um, I had uh, 21 students in tears at the end of this school year because they just didn't want to spend a day um, not just away from me. They articulated consistently they didn't want to spend time away from each other. And for for a group of students, many of them who came in to my classroom and would do anything to get out of my classroom <laughs> and do anything to try to get out of school for the day, having a community of learners who just wanted to be together and be back at school, um, that to me is success. And I think if we can um, inspire and educate children who want to show up to school, who want to work hard, and who want to do that in community, I think we've done our job. I think you're right that any teacher would be thrilled and would really welcome uh, such, a, such a thing at the end of his or her school year. So Lindsay Minder of Codman, thank you very much. It's been a fascinating period to talk to you about mindfulness and about how you've been uh, changing uh, the culture in your second grade classroom. To watch the Ed Talk discussed in this podcast and learn about future Ed Talks, go to www.bostonedtalks.org. You can also find the Boston Ed Talks on the Boston Foundation's YouTube channel, on Twitter at Boston Ed Talks, and on Facebook.